The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show. Well, after a week off, the domestic football is back and it's also time for the Champions League to get underway once again too. The question is, are City ready to right the wrongs of last season's European exit and can they get back to winning ways in the Premier League as well? Welcome to today's Blue Moon podcast where we're going to look ahead to ties with Arsenal and Porto. Also on today's show, we'll hear the second part of our interview with former City technical director Mike Rigg and we'll catch up with Stan Horn, who after more than 50 years could be about to get a top flight winner's medal for his role in City's title back in 1968. More on that soon. I'm David Mooney. I'm joined for this week's show by two City fans in the shape of Howard Hawking. Hello. And Dan Burke. Hello. How are you both doing? It's uh, good, good to have City back, do you reckon, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I've I've not like hated this international break. I think it came at quite, quite a good time, actually. But yeah, looking forward to getting back to the real stuff this weekend. Yeah, I mean, after the start of the season, though, Howard, um, Arsenal's not, a, a, not the ideal tie to be facing, is it? No, I don't know what is though, because <laughs> I don't know how to uh, explain this season. So yeah, it's been. Uh, I mean, it's hard to say. It has this been a really tough start to the season? Well, Wolves away, Leeds, Leicester, Arsenal is tough. But I think because it's such a competitive league, possibly this season, you could say that about quite a lot of teams. Yeah, you know that that still excludes Liverpool, United, Chelsea, and. A, Another good team. So, yeah, it's not been the easiest start to the season and this will be a very tough uh, game, no doubt about it. Well, let's uh, let's preview the game with Arsenal. Uh, Saturday at 5.30 at the Etihad. Uh, we're going to start looking ahead of it now and uh, let's also bring in Arsenal fan, writer, man at large, Michael Kashani. Welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, I got that man at large bit after your uh, off your Twitter because I, 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 <laughs> I just looked at your Twitter to see how to describe you and then I saw that your location was at large and it just made me laugh. <laughs> I, I remember coming out with that joke as a teenager and just leaving it there however many years later. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the, the one question to start with, Kesh, uh, about Arsenal right now is, um, I mean, how important was it to get Gunasaurus signed up by Meza Ozil? Uh, the morale around the club is really lifted. There's a clear change. You still feel like you're part of home, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, no, the, no, the real question is, uh, obviously, for, for City and, uh, and Mikel Arteta. So what, what's life a bit like outside of the uh, Unai Emery prison that you were living in for, what was it, 18 months or so? Oh, it's the, the worst 18 months you could ask for. But um, <laughs> yeah, so um, it's it's been strange with Arteta because you, well, when he came in, you would expect that we'd instantly, well, not instantly, within a matter of reason, but like, We'd go for this sort of more free-flowing attacking football that's that we saw sort of in the classic Wenger years, um, and it's not been like that so far. He's been very pragmatic. He's been sort of we've it's been known as um, our style of player. Bung fans have been known as sufferable. We've, we've been grinding out our wins. We've been everything has been about fighting and and staying compact defensively. And to the extent he's picking up a reputation in some places as sort of a Mourinho-style defensive manager, which I think is a bit wide of the mark. But it's clear to see that he's working on making sure that we work as a defensive unit and hoping that the goals will sort of trickle in. Because it's easier to score one and concede none than it is to score two and concede one. Like, well, speak for yourselves, you know. I mean, if, 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 if you're going to have a defence like ours, you've got to be able to score six or seven. To be honest, I'd rather be scoring five and conceding three every week, but <laughs> I can see why he's taking the decisions he is. But there's, there is a very different atmosphere around supporting the club and following it. Obviously, we've not been able to be in the stadium for a while. Um, but even when we're not playing particularly well, and a lot of our performances aren't actually that good. But there is a feeling that we're actually going somewhere, that we're building towards something. And the the fans, as well as the sort of the upper levels of the club, seem to be very willing to give Arteta that time to make what, make his vision come to some kind of reality. Yeah, I, I guess for City fans in this one, Dan, um, I, I guess coming back off what Howard said before about having um, a, a tough game to come back off the international break, especially when your form's not been brilliant going into the international break. Um, I, I guess a game where the manager has been your assistant coach for three and a half years is not exactly ideal. 
No, I mean that FA Cup um, semi-final defeat is still fresh in the memory as well, isn't it? You know, when when mm. uh, you know, I think I think it could have gone a bit differently for City that day if they'd taken some of the sort of chances or even half chances that that they created. But it felt like you know Arteta really did a number on City that day, and perhaps you know drew upon his kind of inside information to know how to beat us, and you know is sort of coming back with injuries uh, after the international break, and you know players not really completely up to speed with the new season yet because of the way everything's sort of worked out um yeah it's, it's looking pretty daunting isn't it but you know we're at home which is always makes me feel a bit better um even without a crowd there um so i'm i'm reasonably optimistic about this game going a bit better than the the fa cup semi-final did but we'll see i guess it's like your worry howard as well like like the fa cup game really highlighted that arteta knew what city's problems were yeah <laughs> when you th- I was preparing for the show. I did think back to that. I can't think past past that game. But I don't know if it's all about Arteta. Arteta did do a job. But what shocked me the most is that City just didn't seem to turn up either. Seems so lethargic. After the restart, the kind of everyone was kind of treading water for the league because everything had been sorted in a way. Liverpool had won the league. City were top four. Uh, and that's all that mattered, you know. And they were almost, or they were definitely second. And the kind of, Pet was talking about how everything's, you know, we're saving ourselves for these cup games. And it, I don't know what happened that day. That, you know, I know we did have a, a few chances, but we were so lethargic and off the pace and lacking intensity. I don't know if that's a template for what happens this weekend or does nothing make sense anymore anyway in the last six months. And I think we are going into the unknown somewhat this, this Saturday. I mean, of all the games, I just couldn't tell you how, and I think the Leicester game is in my mind as much as well because we were 1-0 up there, totally on top for 20 minutes and somehow concede five goals. But then Liverpool go and concede seven anyway and it just shows, I think you're going into games, not even knowing what teams are going to be picked or who's available, but how the game is going to play out is so difficult to, to predict at the moment. But I think what's already been mentioned about Mikel Arteta being pragmatic and playing defensive is probably the worst news because what City love when playing Arsenal and anything is an Arsenal that's nice and open and playing <laughs> to City's hands. So that could be the worst aspect of it is that they will be well organised defensively. How, how have you been defensively under Arteta, Cash? Has, has he improved things? Much, much, much more secure. Um, so obviously he's not been involved leading up to this sort of transfer window that excluded so at the end of last season you just had to work with the defenders we had and sort of the midfield we had too and I mean he got Mustafi playing quite well which is pretty impressive by any account um but you could see that the defenders were clearly a lot more comfortable with their surroundings with each other it looked like they'd actually worked together properly and so yeah we're definitely you can't argue we're not well drilled in, in that respect which is nice again after many years of just not being um and yeah, in terms of so, but we'll, we will concede a, a big chance a game, roughly, and then there's always that bit of room for our oppositions because we're still the the organisation's there, but the the talent is still coming through. Let's say, yeah, um, it's it's interesting that I mean, was it the first goal in the FA Cup or the second goal where you basically accepted all of City's pressure and played through it? And that I mean, that from a City fan's point of view is terrifying, really. Yeah, um, that's that's very much how we've been approaching the bigger games. That's how we won the cup as well. Um, so we've not been, yeah, we've not been playing to control, but we, the thing that, that really stuck out for me during that, um, that semi-final was, as was said before, the fact that you look so toothless and that you, you had those half chances, but you didn't make a, a proper big chance, I'd say, um, which is very reassuring for us because that was the first time we've held a proper team at bay for God knows how long. Um, but, and, and with it sort of that's encouragement going forward that we can, we can build to play out against these teams and we can counterattack really well. So how 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 does Guardiola uh, guard against that happening again, Dan? Do you reckon? I don't. I don't know. It's the short answer. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd be the first to admit that I'm not the sort of finest tactical mind uh, on the circuit. But Mate, if um, any of us were, we wouldn't be sat here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, 
maybe it's an oversimplistic way to look at it, but I do think that game, that uh, the last game against Arsenal, could have gone very differently if we'd sort of taken our chances. I mean, you look at the the game against Arsenal in the league, the sort of first game post lockdown. I know Arsenal were a bit at sixes and sevens that day, um, but City were, you know, by far the better team there, weren't they? And uh, you look at how Arsenal played at Anfield recently. All right, I think Liverpool, I think it's fair to say Liverpool are a better team than City, uh, even in spite of that uh, result they had before the international break. But Arsenal, you know are a bit inconsistent and aren't always going to be able to come and sort of do a number on a team like they did against us that day. So, I don't know, taking chances, is that is that enough of a, a, a thing to say as, as how, how we beat Arsenal? Don't uh, miss from two yards out like Sterling did that day. Yeah, maybe it's as simple as that. I don't know. Yeah, uh, how about Rodri Fernandinho for the middle? Uh, Howard, is that? I mean, that if that was the team sheet on Saturday evening, you would feel more comfortable, would you? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Double pivots just don't do it for me. Uh, and obviously, I think it, it was trialed, was it not at Wolves? And we hadn't had a. It was like pre-season game in a way that City hadn't played a game for six months, and it was a great result. But this, I, to be honest, I'm not seeing it protecting the defense as much as I would expect a double pivot to. So. To say I'd be happy to see it, I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah. I think it takes away creativity further up the pitch. Uh, and I'm not seeing it making the defence a lot secure at the moment. So, And if you then say, well, which one do you pick? Uh, I think it's Fernandinho at the moment, as long as he's, he's fit. Well, obviously, he's not been on international duty, has he? So, no, I think I prefer one pivot, to be honest. And I think I prefer it to be Fernandinho because... He can't play much. He obviously, at his age now, at 35, he cannot be playing not even twice a week. But with rest, he can still be the Fernandino, I think, of two years ago. We've seen yeah. glimpses of it this season. And that surprised me because I thought he pretty much his legs had gone by the end of last season. But I still think there's life in him. And to be honest, I think I prefer, if you've got, you know, if, if Arsenal are going to be quite defensive, I'd, I think I prefer a single pivot defensive midfielder rather than two. Because I think with that, we just end up passing a lot of slow, laborious play and sideways passing that doesn't really get behind a team that is well-disciplined in defence, like Leicester were a couple of weeks ago. So This is this is where we see a triple pivot with Gundogan in there as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, just Gundogan by himself, I think. He does that role really well. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, Kesh, in terms of uh, how City are going to set up. How are how are Arsenal going to set up in that sense? It's it's tough to know entirely because he's been changing things up a bit more. So he's been very wedded to playing a back three, sort of three four three setup uh, for the last. Well, I guess I think actually since we got battered by you on my birthday and back in June. Um, but it's, uh, over the last few weeks, he's tried to sort of shift a bit more towards a back four, which I think is his long-term plan, play 4-3-3. I mean, you know what Guardiola's like. I imagine that Arteta's very much had the same idea of approaching games in that way with that 4-3-3. Um, yeah. He did it against Sheffield, Sheffield United in our last game, but I think away at City, he would have the sense to um, to go back to a back three and sort of try and sit and absorb. Unless he thinks the best way to get at them is to sort of go right at them and take the game to them. But I would guess... Back to that back three, although it looks like Kieran Tierney might not be able to play, which could be quite big in your favour because he's been very important for us in that in that setup. And he well, was great uh, in the semi-final as well. I was going to say, in terms of big news for, for Arsenal, uh, it could be that uh, Kevin De Bruyne isn't available, Dan. Yeah, which is obviously a huge blow because he's our best player, isn't he? But um, I mean, it could be that he is available as well. It's, it's been a bit vague about why he, why he sort of left the Belgium camp and what his injury actually is and how serious it is. So, um, you know, if, if he misses this game, hopefully it will just be this game and and, and that's it. But yeah, in, you know, obviously that, that City lose a lot of their dynamism when he isn't there. Um not, not the same, anywhere near the same team and the midfield is a lot less uh, impactful. Um, so yeah, hopefully he will be fit, but I, I, I would be surprised if he did play actually. Yeah, I mean, in terms of injuries for for City, Howard, um, I mean, it's it feels like they've had a lot of problems coming into this season, but it, they're almost at the point where things are getting better again. Aguero's back in training, Stones, Gundogan back in training as well. Uh, Cancelo and Bernardo are, are, are available again, uh, even though. Cristiano Ronaldo tested positive, and they were all in the same Portugal squad. So let's not really let's not worry about that yet. You know, just in case. Well, they played. Did they played Wednesday night? So yeah, it, it looks like they're safe to be honest. So 
as his dears, of, as his dears, of course. So, yeah, I, I think the the break came at a good time, obviously, because we were just weighed down with injuries. But I'm still not sure. I still don't know what team's going to be picked and what state a lot of these players are in. I don't know if Aguero is he match fit. He does come back slowly from injuries. Jesus is back in training, but I assume he's not ready to play a match. I think the main concern all season for me has been, are there legs in this team? You know, I just without that pre-season, I just don't think they've got to match fitness. And I thought the international break would be a good way for a lot of players to, to gain that. And of course, the ones that have stayed in Manchester, that's great news. But we've still had a lot of players travelling around. And, you know, Raheem Sterling, another one, I don't know if he's fit enough for the weekend. Probably. I don't know if it's one of those tactical... Uh, a tactical injury, with, a tactical withdrawal <laughs> from the English squad. Classic, yeah. fer, classic Ferguson <laughs> tactic. But with Mind City, you never know. He could, he could be out for two months. So, but it seems to be that he should be available. So, we could have quite a strong side, yeah. But you just don't know going into these things until you do that press conference. You don't know if another four players have mysteriously got problems or are not fully fit, and you cannot predict what team he's going to put out. I think. Yeah, I mean, Dan, for you, is it is it a case now of Laporte and uh, Diash are the, are the two centre-backs and anything else is, is just kind of a sticking plaster on this? Or can you see yeah. a situation where maybe he puts Ake in to make a back three? Mm, maybe, yeah, yeah. I, I would never put that past there, Guardiola, to do something a little bit crazy for a game like this, especially, you know, he's going to be thinking long and hard about how to beat Arteta, isn't he? And he'll, he'll have watched that FA Cup final game probably about 27 times now, trying to find the uh, sort of, you know, key to winning this game and uh, maybe a back three. I mean, it, it, it works. <laughs> It'll be Gundogan uh, on the left now. <laughs> uh, probably, yeah. The boy yeah. seems to be what he comes back round to. Still, it, it worked pretty well. Right back. Yeah. yeah, Kevin Keegan did that with Sean Wright Phillips once. It worked quite well, actually. So you know, fair, yeah, fair enough. Uh, when, when we were chasing games back in the Wenger era, we'd end up, we'd often end up with wingers at fullback. It was great. <laughs> I, I, until you've seen Jesus Navas playing as a right back, you've not seen it, mate. That's all I'm going to say. He's great though. He's great now. That, that <laughs> yeah. is a position right back now, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Resurrected. Yeah. 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 <laughs> The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. The other, the other issue, as Howard touched on there, Dan, was uh, Aguero and Jesus. If neither of them are available, how, how do you set up for this, especially if De Bruyne isn't available as well? Mm, and if Sterling isn't available, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, my, my answer would probably be play Sterling as the central striker, which doesn't always fill me with with joy when he plays there because I don't think it's is its best position. He's obviously a lot better coming in off the, off the left. Um, I mean, my other sort of idea would probably be to play kind of Foden as a false nine. I'm not sure I would put Liam Delap in from the start of a Premier League game. Obviously, he did well in the the cup game and um, came on against Leicester and, and put himself about a bit. But I think he's not quite uh, there in terms of being totally ready for senior football and like some of his like uh, you know first touches can be a little bit sloppy at times. I've noticed yeah. and uh, his link up plays isn't quite there yet. But uh, you Should know, say for he, listeners as well, he is seventeen, so it's like we're not we're not, yeah, not yeah, criticising yeah. him for this. Yeah, but he, he'll probably be on the bench and, and might come on if we need him as well. But yeah, I, I guess if if there's no Sterling, no Aguero, and no Jesus, I would probably play Foden as the sort of point of the the, the team. But yeah, it's yeah. not not ideal, is it? On the on on the other side of the pitch, though, Cash, um, getting Aubameyang signed to a new contract must have been, must have made your close season. I was going to say summer, but it wasn't a summer, but it must have made your close season. Honestly, it was it was quite. Um... It was quite, if you told me a few months ago, it would have been very surprising. But then as time wore on, it seemed to just become more and more obvious. Quite why he wants to stay with us, I have no idea. But he's uh, he's he's far too good to be playing for us. And he's got one more big contract left in him. So I assumed that he would take that chance and go, you know, to proper football club. But yeah, it's, it's such a boost to have him. And he's club captain as well. So even if, obviously he's 31 now, even if you don't quite get the productivity levels you've had for him for the last few years, Keeping him around sort of a statement and for what you'll get out of him for the next year or two is really important. It's great for, you know, keeping every keeping keeping the idea that we're we're on the right track and we're going somewhere. 
Yeah. He kept citing Arteta as a big reason why he wanted to stay in the first place, which, you know, could be lip service. But, I mean, it's it's encouraging as well because the players seem to really, really bought into him. Yeah, I mean, I, I Dan, you floated the idea of, of City going after him when it was when it was looking like he might be looking to leave Arsenal. That's that's the that's how highly you regard him as well. Yeah, I would have loved him. I I, I rate him so highly, and you know he, he's quite versatile. He can play as a sort of number nine, or or you can come in and drift on in off the off the flank. I think he would have been a perfect signing for us, and um, I understand why he stayed at Arsenal. And I don't know if I'd be interested to know if we did make a move for him this summer because apparently a couple of clubs did make a move for him. Um, but yeah, I'm a bit bit jealous that Arsenal have managed to keep hold of him because I would have really loved him. Yeah, um, let's let, let's look. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, Guardiola and Arteta. Cash, um, do you see? Uh, there's there's a there was a school of thought that Arteta was being groomed to to be the manager to take over Guardiola when uh, Guardiola left City. Now he's he's Arsenal manager. It's probably not going to happen. Um, do you see a situation, or do you see uh, any, any sort of similarities between the two as as coaches and the way they think about the game? You could see that meticulousness, that that wanting to direct every possible movement you can to study every detail, but also to make sure that you're trying to impose what you want on the game rather than making everything about your opposition. But we have, I think, in time when we've got a better squad and he's feeling a bit more comfortable and a bit more adventurous with the players we have, we'll be able to sort of see those comparisons more and how they want to approach games and build attacks. But so far, we've seen a lot more of that Guardiola pragmatism that you don't see as much unless it's a European away and he gets it all wrong. <laughs> um, um, which Arteta's thankfully not got all wrong I mean mostly just yet um, so I think you can see that that absolute that insane drive that they both have and that will to work and to study every detail but in terms of comparisons and style not yet but again I think we're working with a quite compromised Arteta at the moment and we're going to see more from him in terms of what he really wants in sort of hopefully over the next few months yeah. Final question for the uh, the first part of the show, Howard is: Is Arteta the the big loss that uh, we all thought he was when he moved? Yeah, I think we underestimate. Yeah, where a manager goes, you go, oh, oh no, that's terrible. But we never really think about the that the manager is just one of a team, and they are nothing without the team behind them. Any manager, in a way, at the time, I thought, you know, I didn't think it was the end of the world. You'd get someone else in who would, you know. There's lots of BP respects around the world and you can get him to do the job, but I think we have lost a little something. You know, I mean, can't say that our struggles have been directly linked to him leaving, but uh, he wasn't replaced for a while. Uh, I think we took too long to get someone in to replace him. I don't know about the new guy. I don't know if he's made a difference or not, but these are strange times and it's hard to evaluate. And I've, I'm surprised at how quickly Arteta, I think, has made his mark at Arsenal. Uh, I would, you know, when he left, I think I thought it was ridiculous talk to be talking about him as a successor to Pep. But I think he would be in the. T- I mean, it depends how long Pep stays for, of course, because you say Arteta's not likely to leave Arsenal in the near future. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite surprised at how he's got a big job on his hands here you know, to get him right back to the top. But I am, I'm surprised at how quickly he's taken to it. And of course, he wants to put his own identity onto things because whilst he was at. City, I'm sure he would have disagreed with the way Pep Guardiola did stuff, but what a, what a great way to learn before you take your first job. So yeah. I think it has it has a, had a detrimental effect on City, I think, him leaving. Yeah, um, it's it, it's interesting you say that, though. He only ever managed one game for City and they lost to Leon, But then again, Leon turns out <laughs> our house of Europe, so... Uh... You know, here, here we are. Uh, Cash, before we let you go, uh, we've got the charity bet coming up a bit later on, so uh, let's have a score prediction for that game. Uh, I've said, uh, I think I said to you before, I'm going 2 0 City. Yeah, 2 0. Uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, look at that in the charity bet. So uh, I, I would wish you the best of luck, but uh, judging by the way we're all feeling about this game, I don't think you need it. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, let's, say, let's just say it's mutual. You heard my score prediction just there. <laughs> um, yeah, fingers, fingers crossed either way that uh, we win on the charity bet. So that means Arsenal yeah. lost. So uh, moving on. And we heard on last week's show from City's former technical director, Mike Rigg, talking about how difficult it was to convince players to join the club back in 2008. In the second part of that interview, he's been speaking to me about working with Roberto Mancini, missing the title-winning game against QPR, and first, what needed to change at the Etihad when he arrived. Player acquisition is an extremely expensive business. You know, as we all know, you get a couple wrong and it costs you millions and millions of pounds. You get a couple wrong and, you know, you potentially get relegated. Now, um, 
we've done a little bit of analysis uh, on kind of the level of it's, uh, apologies for this phrase, but it's the best way to use it. But um, we've done a bit of analysis on the level of due diligence behind signing players. And when I got to City, there was a lad who sat in the office uh, and he kind of like had a small office. And Carrington was bizarre because he had like little offices with tiny little strips, windows that you could never sit out. And I opened this one and there was a guy in there uh, called Dave Fallows. And Dave was absolutely an amazing operator now at Liverpool. And he's, he certainly will be uh, instrumental to, you know, behind the success of, of what Liverpool have done so far. And he was... We, we were kind of like ordering DVDs from a guy in Bulgaria so we could try and get clips of, can we see this player that we're, you know, that we like the look of in Spain because of the, the amount of time it takes to get out. We didn't have international scouts. We had a group of part-time scouts that were based in, in the UK, all getting paid like, I don't know, £200 a month retainers. You know, th there's two parts to this. There's actually finding the talent and then there's the acquisition. It's the actual process of getting the players signed, closing the deal. And that's a long process from start to finish. And it's multiple layers. There's lots of people involved from, you know, spotting them. And it's now gone on to a completely different level. You know, 10 years later, it's completely different. Like the use of analytics, the use of video, the use of you know, psychological profiling, um, you know, real uh, detail behind why would you sign a player and how does it fit in? And, you know, at that time, I remember we did a little bit of digging into, only really simple, over the previous group of players that had been signed, I think, the year or a couple of seasons before. That cost an awful lot of money to City, but basically hadn't moved the club forward, you know, hadn't bumped us up the league any. And there's multiple reasons for that, obviously. But but for me, I looked at, right, well, where's our system, which which looks, you know, where's our due diligence? Where's our records to say, why would, she, why would we, we go and get that player? And we, we virtually had nothing. I think we had a, I think, I think at the time there was like a couple of lines on a match report on Benjani from Portsmouth would have been at the time. Yeah. And I pulled this report together. And I remember Gary, um, Gary Cook saying to me, right, Caldoun's coming over. You've got, you've got probably half an hour to present to him what we've got to do going forward. And I remember putting up this slide of these list of players and going, right, they're the players that we've brought previously in this last you know, couple of windows. We're now trying to get them out and you know, move them on uh, or we're looking to try and replace them. This is how much it's cost us and this is how much due diligence we've done behind it. And it was, it was literally zero. And I went, you know, Caldoun, if we, you know, if we're going to move this forward, we've got to have a proper professional department of people based home and abroad, full time, that have a real rigorous process behind it. Um, and if we want to move, if we want to bring talent in and make sure we move us on to another level, and he just said, "Yep, whatever you want," boom, and it got done. And then we just set about building a team of people. Uh, you know, I, I was lucky. I was just the, the head of that department. I wasn't the person responsible for everything. I was accountable for it. But we had some amazing people. Some of them are still there now. And, and what's happened since, to the club's credit, is they've built it year on year on year. It's gone on to another level. So where it is now, you know, under Cheeky, is a completely different level to what, what it was when I was there. And, and that's, again, credit to uh, Caldoun, credit to the club. And realizing if they're going to do this and you want to move on to the highest level of football, you've got to do it properly. Because that, what, what again in football, you know, sports science, medical coaching, these are all extremely well sort, well resourced, and, and extremely professional departments. But these general them departments generally can only get the best out of players when they're in the building. And my case to the club was, yeah, well, we've got to have that same level of professionalism to analyse the players before they come in the building. And the bit which a lot of people don't realise, we literally spend 99% of our time keeping the players away. And the focus is always, well, the players that you do get. But 99% but of our time is spent keeping players away. That's as in, you know, players that, that you don't want at the club sort that of thing. That we don't that, want. That don't yeah, fit. That don't fit. You know, players that, you know financially don't work, players that just position don't work, players who just might not be for us at the right time. Like I was saying before, that, that Chiellini one, 
Um, he was a perfect, you know, a perfect, perfect player. For but for different reasons, it just wasn't the right fit at the right time. When when Mark Hughes lost his job, did did your role change at all? Yeah, it did slightly. Um, there was obviously bits of rumours that you know Mark was going to move on, and I was part of that group. And uh, and then I kind of like had the decision: Do I, you know, the club never came and said, "Listen, Mike, sorry, you've got to go as well." Um, so I I remember after Mark left after that game, and they all they all got their. Um, you know, they all got notified that they were moving on. It's always a difficult time, but it's inevitable in football at some point. So that's what it was. And and I remember a couple of weeks after thinking, right, I can sit here and sulk because me mate and the person I've worked with for a long time, or do you know what? I've got an opportunity at this amazing club to hopefully try and just help contribute a little bit more. And And also I didn't want to feel that Mark had the responsibility every time he moved to another job that he had to find me a job because that also means someone in that club losing their job in order to make a space for me to to go into. Um, and I was really, really grateful that Brian Marwood and Gary Cook, you know, they said to me, you know, we want you to stay. We want you to keep doing what you're doing. And, and, the, the, and, and it didn't really change my job. Um, it changed it in the sense I was working with a different manager, which was a different set of challenges. But it made it, it just, I don't know, in a way, I think, I think it, it made me relax a little bit more that I didn't have kind of the same emotional attachment because Sparky was my mate and Sparky was someone I've worked with in multiple years and I, I was being able to step back a little bit and detach myself and be maybe a little bit more, be a little bit more objective. How was, how was Roberto Mancini to work with? I I got on with him really well, you know. I mean, he, he was tough. I got on really well, but you know, he loved his football, and he was and he's a serial winner, by the way. So, you know, let's let's face facts. Um, but I've gone. I've realised in football, when people want to win, there's quite often the special personalities, and you see it. I see it all the time. Um, if you go in there and you just want an easy life, don't don't have a job in football. And Roberto didn't make it an easy life because he wanted high standards. And, and he, you know, he was very unique in how he was. How, how did I work with him? Yeah, I, I I remember, you know, going out and spending a bit of time with him in his place in, in Albion and Sardinia. And, and he was very kind. He's very generous. Uh, and then also at times he was very, he, he was very, he was very emotional and and very hot headed, but that's football. You know, he wanted he wanted players. He didn't want other players. He wanted things done. He wanted deals closed, and all, all of it was for the benefit of taking the club forward. and And he did. Now, obviously, you uh, you moved on from City just before they they won the title in 2012. Um, I, I believe you were actually at the uh, the Bolton Stoke game with that that mattered for QPR. Um, so, how how did it feel that day to see your new club QPR stay up and obviously your, your previous club uh, City win the title? Uh, um, I regret going. Uh, regret probably regret the wrong word. No, maybe regret's the wrong word. Um, I made the decision to go and I think uh, to go back and work with Mark again and to to work on, as they say, a new project. And I remember that time I was thinking, mm, I'm not sure I can go in, I'm not sure I can go and sit in, in City's ground. I think do something a little bit different. And I, I always laugh jokingly saying, so I was... I, I was at the uh, the Britannia Stadium watching that game, and and that game finished before City's game did. And I think it was Mark Bircham, the reserve team coach, was on the bench. And I remember having a phone, my phone, I'm phoning up the lads at, at the Etihad saying, "That's it, we're up, great, because the result's gone our way, and we're up." And I'm sure Mark Bircham's jumped up and shouted to Kevin Hitch, going, "Yes, that's it, the, you know, we're up, they're fine." And, you know, we were laughing, saying a couple of the players turned around and looked at the bench, at which point Aguero sneaked through and scored that goal. So, um, so you know, I, I tell my kids, listen, I was responsible for, for Aguero scoring that goal because we put the players off. Um, but it's, uh, it was, it, I, remember, I remember Mark saying to me, 
uh, obviously I wasn't at the game. I was at <laughs> I was at Sunny Stoke, and I remember Mark saying after he went, oh, he said, I, I honestly, and you can imagine where Mark Hughes has played and where he's been and what stadium he's been in, and Bayern Munich and Barcelona. And he said, he said, when that goal went in, he said, I've never experienced uh, a noise and an atmosphere like that in my life. He just said it was just, and that's the bit which I regret. I wish I wish I could have been there for that. But listen, we stayed up, City won the title and everyone's happy. The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. Also featuring major industry players, global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus creator meetups, networking and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That was Mike Greg speaking to me. And the full version of that interview is now available on our Patreon page as well for backers. It will be on bluemoonpodcast.com at the end of the season for free as well. If you want to hear it now, though, have a look at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And that brings us to the return of the Champions League, which is a home game with Porto on Wednesday, eight o'clock kickoff. Um, City have got quite a few issues to iron out with the Champions League, Howard. (laughs) (laughs) Really? What are they? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, not... Well, thankfully, not in the last few years in the group stage, so fingers crossed. But I don't want to repeat myself. Who knows what we're going into here? (laughs) I think, let's be honest, the draw was, because we're in pot two, the draw was pretty much as kind as it could have been, I think. Uh, It's probably one or two lower, you know, if you're doing the perfect one, you could have changed the odd team, but it's been okay. And Porto, I don't think have started the season on fire either. Lost at home before the international break to Maritimo, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, it's Champions League in an empty stadium. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? It's normally, I would say, we breeze through the group stage. I mean, I'm not going to say, yeah, we're going to get 18 points, but. I wouldn't have had many, but despite the issues we've had in the competition, I wouldn't be overly concerned about qualifying for this. But when you take away normality completely, then who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, but I mean, it, I, it is it is a, a you know a fairly sedate uh, lineup for us that gives. I think if there's no whipping boy, you know, if if there's no whipping boys in the group and t- the other three teams take points off each other then it shouldn't be a huge problem for City to get through this. I thought that was going to be like that proverb then. You know when they say if, 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 in a group of friends, if, if there's no idiot, then you're the idiot. I thought that was, <laughs> you were say, there's no whipping boy in the group, then it's City. Um, no, but when there's, when, when there's no whipping boy, the, the points you need to qualify is lowered, basically, yeah. because, yeah. If you see what I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I know where you're coming from. Um, Dan, what's, what's changed in the last couple of months to convince you that City are now up to this competition? Uh, nothing. <laughs> I mean, I mean that that Leon. I'm still scarred by that Leon game. I think. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, was it? It was only what six weeks ago or something, seven weeks ago. Um, and I've got a bit of a downer about the Champions League this season. I think really. I mean, as Howard said, that that uh, the group that we've got doesn't really sort of get the pulse racing, does it? Any of those games, and especially now that none of the fans can go to the game, so there's not even that element of it. Like, oh, we could have a nice trip to Porto or or Marseille yeah. or whatever. Um, and I don't know, with, with the Champions League, it just feels like we're just going to sort of probably get through this group quite easily. Then we'll get to the knockout stage. Then we might get someone crap in the sort of round of 16, beat them. Then we'll get to the quarterfinal. Then we'll get someone half decent. <laughs> Guardiola will do something crazy and we'll get knocked out again. I mean, in that Leon game, that Champions League sort of, uh, you know, the end of the season Champions League um, last year, I just all I wanted from that really was for us to get to the semi final and play against Bayern Munich and test us against a really good team. And if they'd beaten those, if they'd knocked us out, which they probably would have done, fair enough, you know, they, yeah. they were a better team than us, fine. But we played Leon, we should have beaten Leon, like we should have, we should have eased past them, really. And we just really let ourselves down that night. And I'm still, I'm still not over it. And I'm still not ready to kind of go again in the Champions League. I don't think. Yeah, it, it does. It does hang over City, doesn't it, Howard? And like, I, yeah. I, I get the feeling it's always going to until they win it. But ultimately, as a fan, like, do you care? 
Oh, well, yeah, that's a care. Well, well, I mean, do you say- that it hangs over the club, like, like the, the external uh, pressure from from uh, the press, from other fans, from social media is always, oh, well, they've never done it in the Champions League. But yeah. like, does that bother you? Well, it doesn't keep me awake at night, but <laughs> <laughs> it would be obviously a huge relief and monkey off your back just to get one win, just to do it, just to get to a final as well, you know, because, you know, failure for Pep is not, Having not even got to a final, I don't think, in 10 years, let alone winning it. Anything can happen in a final, in a way. Uh, I always say a, a great season for City is either winning the Champions League or the league. And obviously, that, that's basically meant winning the league in the past. And if we do that, I don't care about anything else because the league's always priority for me. It's a big thing. It's nine months. It's, you know, it's against the fans, you know, of rival teams that it's bread and butter. But I think City at some point have got to, obviously, when they get one under the belt, just think it changes the mentality for games thereafter as well. I mean, you look at the Leon game, you wonder if it scars the players, if they've got that negativity in them. But a lot of the reports that came out of the Leon game said that essentially the players were as angry as the fans in that I think the belief's there from the players, especially after they'd beaten Real Madrid. That's what annoyed me as much as anything. They get past Real Madrid and then Pep put some left field team out against Leon. I think it's it does rest with the manager. I think I do think I don't think the players are mentally scarred. I think they they do believe they can do this. Uh, just hope that when it gets to a crunch tie, and we've said it before, and he's done it again, <laughs> you know, that he just puts out a normal side. Uh, and then what happened? If we lose, then fair enough. You know, as Dan said, if fair enough, you come up against a better team and you lose on the night to brilliant strike or moment of magic, so be it. But to go out due to because you shoot yourselves in the foot year after year, so frustrating. What did you think of Omar Barada's comments, uh, Dan, to the Athletic that they see a time where City can win the Champions League more than once in a short period of time? I think he's right. Yeah, I mean I th- that's why I don't really sort of uh, I don't have this like burning desire to win the Champions League as soon as possible. It doesn't worry me because I think it's kind of inevitable that the stars will align for City one day. All right, it's probably taken longer for us to. Um, you might have thought that when the money came in that we would have won it by now, and I think that's fair enough. You know, there has been numerous different reasons why we haven't won it. Um, I think it will happen someday. I mean, it, you you analyze sort of the, the the last couple of exits, like the Spurs one. All right, you could say that Pep got his team selection wrong for the first leg, and that was all ultimately what will cost us but it was probably like you know a, a bit of a uh, marginal VAR call that we were a bit unlucky that night to, to sort of lose that game and get knocked out and I didn't I, f- I felt okay about that one I was fine about that one and even the Leon one um, you know again Guardiola got his, his setup wrong but if, if if Gabriel Jesus scores that chance at 1-1 we probably go to the semi-final. If Raheem Sterling scores that chance at two two at two one to them, we maybe you know if he doesn't miss the open net, we maybe go to the semi-final then. So, I, th- I think it's just a case of at some point it's all it's cup football, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's just cup. Yeah, just it, it will just we just keep getting knocked out for for various different reasons, and eventually we won't get knocked <laughs> yeah. out and we'll win it. It's just <laughs> baffling reasons, yeah, yeah, scratching yeah. reasons. Yeah. The, the interesting thing I, I took from that interview, though, Howard, is uh, I, I'm just wondering, maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking too much into this, um, but I, I, I did notice that he said uh, the reasons why they think they'll win it more than once in a short period of time is that they have the squad to do it and they've got the manager to do it. Does that suggest that Guardiola might be a bit nearer to signing an extension than we think? <laughs> uh, if he was signing what? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I would have thought, the thing with Guardiola, if, normally with any other manager, if you've not signed one by now, you think, well, he's going. But Guardiola is the sort of person who will just sign it in December. Is not bother about doing it late on in the in the day, so to speak? I I wouldn't read that much into it, to be honest. I'm just, I, I'm just reading a bit too much into it. No, I don't know. Well, he's still got this season anyway, and maybe that's what he's referring to. Uh, I think if he knows he's going to sign a contract, we'd have heard about it, really. They just announced so- it. Something would have come out, and he'd probably have done it more. More to the point, he'd have signed it. So, for me, I'm not sure anything like that's been decided yet. No. Yeah, uh, Dan, we didn't really touch on this with Cash before about uh, the inter- internationals with the Portuguese players uh, testing positive for well, with Cristiano Ronaldo testing positive for COVID and and the players he was with. Um, should we even be considering playing the Champions League this season? 
Um, well, probably not, no. We probably shouldn't be considering doing a lot of this stuff, but the reason it's being done is because of money, isn't it? And <laughs> and that comes before anything else in football, unfortunately. Um, you know, at least with the Champions League, that the players are still contained in their own little bubbles and it's a, a bit a bit safer than them all mingling together on international duty. But, you know, the internationals should not have happened as far as I'm concerned, especially those friendlies that they played. I thought that was outrageous. Right. But again, you know, these these um, federations rely on this money from, from regular international fixtures and apparently can't do without it for one season so wh- whatever we think about it is irrelevant because the money the money rules everything yeah it's uh, it might just be a case of uh you know we, we we all have to accept at some point in the season so uh team the top teams will have players out with isolating or with uh, with symptoms won't they um mm. it's time to get some predictions on the board with a charity bet we've had no winners yet this season so hopefully that can change soon uh, we've each got a 10 pound correct score single with william hill with all the winnings going to the christie a cancer treatment hospital in south manchester uh, we heard from kesh before that he thinks city are going to beat arsenal 2-0 which is 15 to 2 and 75 pounds if he's right howard what have you gone for for uh, for arsenal I've gone for a tight 2-1 victory for City. A tight 2-1 is a 7-1, to one, so £70 if you're right. Uh, Dan? For the record, I wanted to go 2-1, but Howard beat me to it, so I've gone for 3-1 instead. Uh, it, well, <laughs> a little peek behind the curtain. Kesh also said 2-1, uh, but uh, Howard got there first wow. again on that one. So, uh, so may- maybe Howard's onto something here, but uh, Dan's 3-1 is 9-1 to one and £90 if you're right. Uh, that brings us to the Porto game. I've said 2-0 for that one as well to City, which is 13-2 to two and £65 if I'm right. Uh, Dan, what have you got for that one? 3-0 City, that one. Uh, that's 8-1 to one and £80. And Howard? 3-1. Uh, 3-1 is 17-2 to two and £85, if you're right. Uh, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more information on gambling responsibly, have a look at begambleaware.org. Now, the Football League has fallen into line with the Premier League on the number of games players need to have played to get a winner's medal, bringing the number down to five. That's good news for Stan Horn, Paul Hintz, Bobby Kennedy and the late Harry Dowd, who may now be issued with medals for their parts in City's top flight title in 1968. That would also make Stan Horn the first black player to earn a Division One winner's medal. I've been speaking to him about his time at City and what it was like working with Joe Mercer. He was an absolute gem. Um... He was, you know, he 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 got he got to Malcolm Allison to come in and work alongside him as the coach. But Joe, they were a great partnership. That they were they were he was like the steadying influence on on Allison. Allison could be a bit volatile, as you probably know. Um, I, I know he had, he had his faults, but he was a tremendous coach. Joe was the more laid back person who would take you to one side and explain things to you, and you know, in, in a proper manner. Whereas Alison would, would probably bore you out. Um, yeah, Joe, Joe, as a man off the field and a person involved in football, I couldn't have wished to have met a, a better person. He was absolutely brilliant for me. You mentioned the Division Two title there. Could you sense what was what was being built at City around that time as well? Well, I did. Yeah, I did because um, the, the whole atmosphere around the dressing room and, and, the, and the club. It just felt that you were going somewhere. You were going to win something. Um, and this was instilled in us by, by the coaching staff. Um, nothing was left to chance. We trained hard, um, did all the work, and, and it paid up on, on the Saturday. We, 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 just, we just felt that we couldn't get beat at all. And if we got a bad result, we, we were back in on the Sunday training. You know, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was just, uh, just phenomenal playing in that team. Now, when it got to uh, the title-winning team in in '68, uh, I mean, you, you played five games in that in that title-winning yeah. team. What what, yeah, what was I, it like I, to be a part of it? Well, it, it was brilliant, but I just felt I just felt a bit left out at times because I had a terrible uh, Achilles tendon injury, and it, it took me it took me ages to get over it. I, I, when I originally got it, I think it was in pre-season, so I missed most of the pre-season on that that year. Um, tried to get fit by resting and coming back, breaking down, coming back, breaking down. And then um, they decided the last chance was to have an operation on it. Um, and so I was operated on uh, by one of the directors, actually, Dr. Rowe, who was a director at the city. He operated on and, and it was a successful operation. I still took a while to get back in, uh, into, into training again and get fit. But, um, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was a bit of an odd scene. I, I didn't feel, yeah, I didn't feel really a part of it because you were outside looking in. Um, and the odd games that I did get, I, I really enjoyed. 
but um, you say the team was set in stone most of the most of the year. Um, probably only about twelve people, twelve or thirteen people, basically used um, in the in the actual team. So um, yeah, although I was I was well pleased that uh, that we won the league, I, I just felt a little bit out of it. But now they're talking about this medal thing. Well, I've just rejuvenated my enthusiasm for that year because uh, it would be sensational if I could uh, just get a medal. I was I was going to ask have you have you heard anything about that? Do you know uh, Do you know what the latest is? Haven't, I haven't. No, uh, the the article broke in the in the in the Sunday paper, um, and then I got a message from uh, Ollie Hamer at City. Um, saying that the club were working on it, but I've not heard anything since. So we just have to wait and see. I mean, if it happens, it happens. Uh, but um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great. It'd be great for myself. Bobby Kennedy was the same, uh, and there were Harry Dowd, who sadly passed away a few years ago. I mean, uh, now you're talking about there a, a proper gentleman, a real good character. They were all they all were at Main at Main Road. Um, so I just hope it happens for, for, for all of them. Well, I was going to say, what, what would it mean to have your contributions to that season recognised like that? Yeah, I, it's brilliant, especially, I mean, it's Manchester City, isn't it? You can't get much bigger now than, than Manchester City. So to be, uh, to be looked on as something, as part of the history and part of something you built, um, well, it's just, it's just a dream, just an absolute dream. I mean, uh, the article that broke in the paper on Sunday was, I think, more basically because I'm 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 black origin, uh, and I think that was the angle that the that the, that the, um, the article in the paper was about. Now that is one side of it that um, it was a little bit tainted in some ways in the game because I I did get a little bit of abuse, not particularly from spectators because to spectators in them days it was a novelty. To see a black person, but um, it was more more opposition uh, opposition um, abuse that I got. But I learned to I learned to um, put up with that and uh, managed to get through okay. You were Sorry. City's first player of uh, of black origin, as far as I can uh, tell. Looking yeah. back through the through the history books, um, what what was it like playing football like in that environment at that time? Yeah, uh, yeah, like I said. It wasn't. It, it was more of a novelty for, for spectators because um, there weren't many about. I can, I can only remember probably two or three at, at most it, it, when I played. Now, now it's uh, there's a majority of black players playing. I think, um, but um, yeah, the, the, it, the, the only problem I had was, was with opposition players. But that was just part and parcel of playing football. It, it, I I was regarded as a tough tackling uh, player, and I, I used to get stuck in. Well, if you do that to ball playing opposition, they're, 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 you know they're going to uh, respond in some way. Uh, it's usually verbally, but um, that was just like water off a duck's back for me in the end because I've, I've learned to live with uh, the colour of my skin all my life. What do you think about um, the the current environment around race? Um, it's, I don't know. I, I don't know what the situation. I've never. I'm not spoken to any of the black players at City, but I would imagine it's um, it's a bit different than when I played uh, because, well, you know, through the 70s, I think it, it was his worst patch, wasn't it? When when you know anything anything went, you could say anything and, and get away with it. But it's good to, to to see people coming out and and talking about it and saying this this shouldn't happen in this day and age. But people are—I <laughs> think people will always have, a, have some sort of gripe, and it uh, sometimes comes down to the fact that they—they failed in their own their own stream, and they've got to have somebody to blame. So they look at somebody that's different uh, and blame them. But um, yeah, hopefully one day it'll, it'll all be—it'll uh, all be in the past, and we can all get on and, and play together as you know. Colour skin won't matter. The biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back. The Podcast Show London will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of May. 
also featuring major industry players, global brands, and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting. Plus, creator meetups, networking, and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. The full interview with Stan Horn is available on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast right now. And just like the Mike Rig one, it'll go live for free at the end of the season on bluemoonpodcast.com as well. Time to finish for this week's show with Ask the Panel. Uh, get in touch in all the usual ways. Twitter is at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram as well. Just search for us on there. Um, first up is Curtis Simpson on the emails who asks, Pep clearly doesn't try or rate Zinchenko. Mendy can't provide the required quality on a regular basis. Ake as the go-to left-back will cause problems with the attack. Is it worth reading more into the nature of the transfers and lack of them? Could it boil down to either the club hierarchy have dropped the ball with recruitment or they anticipate Pep leaving regardless and decided there's no point in spending excessively until the new manager comes in? This is not how I expected to be feeling going into Pep's last season. Um, Dan, I mean, the left-back situation... It feels like they've dropped the ball here, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks like it's been neglected. I mean, I don't. There's probably an awful lot of stuff goes into this, and I think what um, people sometimes forget is it's really hard to buy players. I think like and to sort of recruit the right players and to and to sign a player that's going to be a success. Um, you know, look at the sort of options available to City at left back. There was Nicholas Tagliavico who was talked about and might be revived in January. That one, I'm not convinced that he's the answer to our prayers. To be honest, he might be a nice little squad player, but I'm not. I'm not convinced he's like really going to change the team. Um, the one I would have really liked to have gone for in that position is David Alaba, who can also play centre-back. I would have probably prioritised him over Ruben Diaz if, if that was available, but probably wasn't available, or maybe they, they inquired about it and they wanted too much money or something like that. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, it is a strange one that they've they've sort of let that this one drift for several transfer windows now and bought a few square pegs for round holes. And, um, you know, I think for me, like the... the if Mendy isn't going to be available or, you know, not going to be playing well, for me, I would probably go for Cancelo at that position now. I think, like, he he played quite well, uh, even though he's right-footed towards the end of last season. I thought he sort of um, was quite good at kind of cutting back into his right foot and changing the dynamic of the attack a little bit when we were um, playing against teams with a low block, which was quite quite interesting and um, quite helpful to City. But, yeah, it's... It's it's another one where they're going to go a whole season probably without a, without a, a left back who's going to yeah. stay fit all the time and Mendy's been really inconsistent and it's a bit frustrating but I just I I, I do wonder if it's just it's just been impossible basically to sign someone. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in as well because Curtis did address this in his email but it was a bit long so I edited it out. Um, but he also said about about Cancelo the the problem Howard and I get it completely is that like, as Curtis says if he if he cuts in on his right foot as he's right footed there's nobody in front of him offering that 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 left sided width because because Sterling's playing there he's cutting inside you know you've got to put somebody like Bernardo or or, or, or Mares out there and that's not their side. Yeah, it's a very strange situation. Uh, I'd like to, yeah, it does give issues, but I want to see him in the team a bit more. So <laughs> I don't know. He's just rejigging the team around again. I do think about the left back that the only thing I think of is have they got someone lined up in a year's time? Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. That would, uh, I know Alaba's out of contract. Uh, we thought, we thought that last year, though, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. I just. <laughs> I can't think. I can't see it being linked to Pep, basically, because a great left back's a great left back, and surely any manager would. A new manager comes in; they've already got twenty-four other players there that they have to work with. They might get rid of a few, so bringing a left back in now because Pep might leave is not really an issue for me. So, yeah, I just think it's a very strange situation that we're allowed we're allowed uh, to get ourselves to this point. To be honest. Yeah, well, uh, let's let's take a question now from Niles Disco Pants on Twitter, who asks: Could the trio of Diaz, Cancelo, and Bernardo become the staple right hand side in an effort to gain a bit of consistency? And Howard, I guess is that this comes from the the fact that they're all Portuguese. <laughs> they're all, yeah, uh, yeah, they're all Portuguese, and they're all available, are they? Yeah, are we? there we go. That, that'll do. It. That's it. They're fit and available, so that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, that will do. I mean, they've all uh, all excelled. So, to be honest, it's it's a fair point because what I think this team lacks, I'm going to not just talk about those players. 
Pep, I think, has changed teams more than any other manager in the Premier League. And I don't know a team that stayed the same for two weeks on the row, and certainly not the defence. And what I keep banging on about this week after week after week, I think it's so important for consistency that we get some partnerships going. Uh, whoever that may be, that we play, you know, we're talking about, say, Diaz and Laporte together. Imagine if they could play 30 games together this season, how much better City would be for having that. And I think building up partnerships like that is very important. Uh, down the right, you know, Walker's not done anything that... Cal Walker is criticised quite a lot without actually doing a lot wrong. Uh, still mm. sees people think he relies on pace, but I do it, think we've it overplayed to, it. Goes, it. It just goes to sleep a bit. That's, that's, that's it. He, do, he can do. Well, you know, so how do we know that Cancelo won't or anyone else or you know, players make mistakes? I do think he has been overplayed, though, and I think it's a season where we need to get Cancelo. Uh, and I do believe that little partnerships around the team can really make a huge difference to a team. So, yeah, why not? I mean, Cancelo and, and Bernardo do link up for Portugal, don't they, Dan? Yeah, uh, Bernardo scored for Portugal against Sweden in midweek. Cancelo uh, got a really nice assist. Um, and Diaz played well for them as well, actually. So, yeah, it might be a, a decent solution to, to get them all on the team. I do like Cancelo, actually. I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that we haven't seen quite uh, enough of him so far. So, yeah, like Howard said, I would like to see him rotate a bit more with Walker if he's not going to be playing on the left side this season. I was going to say, you, you want him on the left. So, I mean, it's not that's not going to help Bernardo <laughs> on the right, is it? <laughs> play, play him on both, yeah. <laughs> um, so switching mid-game, yeah. Uh, Paul Blacklock on Twitter asks, given Zinchenko keeps getting man of the match for Ukraine, is it worth Guardiola trying him in midfield? What do you reckon, Dan? Uh, well, maybe in the in the Carabao Cup or something, he might get a run out there because it's weird because we signed him as a like a number ten, didn't we? And only for the fact that we had uh, you know Fabian Delph out of form or injured or whatever it was um, in the eighteen nineteen season that he kind of got a run out at left back and excelled there and kind of kept his place and then did pretty well in the nineteen twenty season. Um, was it nineteen twenty? No, eighteen nineteen. Sorry, seventeen, eighteen, eighteen, nineteen, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's only yeah really that he. Um, he got a bit, he got a bit lucky, and I think he's sort of sort of a bit a bit out of out of his depth. At City. He's not a terrible player, obviously, but he's not like a great player either. So I think it would have to be a bit of an injury crisis that would see him slotting into midfield anytime soon, unless maybe gave him a run out in a, a Champions League dead rubber or something like that. Yeah, it's I just mean, it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. anyway, I mean, I've been suggesting it for two. Years. I thought if Zinchenko stays, it won't be at left back because he's not a left back, and. I thought the Carabao Cup is the perfect opportunity, but we're already down to, what, we're at the quarterfinals now already? Yeah. yeah. Arsenal. And I thought Project Restart, you know, the league was tied down. He could have tried stuff out. Thinking, well, if he's if it's not already happened by now, I just don't think he's ever going to play Zinchenko in a midfield position. So yeah. I'd like to see it, I really would. I'm sure he spent about half an hour once at a de- in the defensive midfield in a a game and yeah, he did, yeah. did did quite well, but you know, then he made that mistake against Southampton. He's probably kicked back out the team for a few <laughs> weeks. So yeah, I just I, I'm not confident that he'll ever do it to be honest. But I would like to see it. Yeah. Final question from uh, Elijah Mckellar-Carsey. I hope I said that right on Twitter. Uh, he says, "I'm from Australia and I was never able to see City play at Main Road. What are some of your favourite Main Road tales?" So uh, it's quite a nice question to uh, to end on. So uh, I, I, I appreciate just springing this on the panel is not something that is uh, it's very easy to respond to. So first off, anybody got any kind of uh, really nice memories of Main Road that uh, that immediately stick out? Well, just the general the general experience in a way of. Uh... Standing on the kipax, I think I sat in all the other parts of the ground, and just the uh, it's a bit it's a bit nostalgia, but yeah, the walk to the ground, the night games, seeing the floodlights, going up those alleys, you biggest, know, the, biggest floodlights, tallest jumper, floodlights, don't forget that. Yeah, jumpers for goalposts, all very nostalgic. <laughs> so uh, I think you miss just the the nature of football was a lot different in those days the the experience of going to a match was different standing up and especially doing it as a teenager it just felt like an adventure uh to, to go to that match you know to go there and, and to get the bus back and yeah it just a different world in a way and just the thing with the terrace of course is you could go wherever you want but you'd still have your your little spot where you could get you know a good view uh but yeah, I'm getting too nostalgic. <laughs> games, games wise, I think the last two years were 
were quite, you know, sober in a way, knowing that you were going, but under Keegan and getting that promotion season and some of the football we saw and, you know, staying up in the Premier League, I did enjoy the last, the last, uh, last couple of years at that stadium. Maybe not the very last day itself, when we, of course, <laughs> being, being City, we managed to lose at home. But yeah, uh, yeah the seemed quite, you know, just obviously saw that I was there in 87 to see a 10 1. Uh, the Derby wins over United, you know, when we're never expected to win. Just and just the promotion, yeah, the promotion I, uh, games, yeah. So, I don't, I don't want to make you feel old, Howard, but that ten-one I game, am uh, was the first game after I was born. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't there then. I wasn't there. No, I was about three days old at that stage. Part timer. Well, even even I wasn't that old then. So yeah, um, Dan, it's. I, I mean, do you miss Main Road? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I miss I miss that that era of football. As Howard said, I miss being able to go up to the players as they were getting out of the cars and ask them for their autographs. I miss you know walking home uh, down Parkside Road after the game. I miss getting rained on in the Gene Kelly stand and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, w- one of my favourite ever days as a City fan was the last derby at, at Main Road, which was also the first time oh, I'd ever yeah. seen City win a derby, which is probably why it was one of my favourites. And that was just a perfect day, you know, a perfect performance from City and a perfect send-off, much better send-off than the, the final game at Main Road, which not only was the result, um, you know, the result was irrelevant, wasn't really, but but we did lose. But the actual kind of like post-game little concert they did was a bit <laughs> naff, wasn't it, really? Was it, it would have been better if they just... There was a few, well, there's Badly Drawn Boy, there was Doves. They had an Oasis tribute band on, which was probably the worst part about it, I think. Um, and I think a lot of people at the time would have been like, can't we just sort of like run on the pitch and just rip the place apart with our bare <laughs> hands and just do it that way instead of having this like sanitised. But yeah, that's just the, the way it went, wasn't it really? One of my favourite things that I, that I ever saw at Main Road uh, was that there was a, there used to be a sign where uh, where I sat in the north stand and there was a like a pillar that held up the the roof on the main stand that that had a little bit of a restricted view behind it and there was a sign on that pillar uh, facing the fans that just said we thank you for not using foul and abusive language. And I thought, <laughs> given what, given the state of some of the football that this stadium has seen, that is quite a big presumption to make. <laughs> what was that? Um, there was like a, 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 a bird that hung down from the roof yeah. of the kippack. Albatross, like a bird. Yeah. What was that about? It's yeah. So keep, keep, <laughs> it the, albatross, yeah. keep the pigeons away, apparently. But... <laughs> Never worked. <laughs> no, like a scarecrow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those, those were and the that... days. I remember also um, one time, you know, the kids used to have to mind your car outside the ground. Yeah. One time my granddad said no to one of those kids. And when, when he came back to his car, <laughs> they ripped his wing mirror off. So let, let wow. that be a lesson to you. Well, if you if, lucky, if, if, lucky to get away with just that, to be honest. I know, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you very much to my guests, Howard Hawking. Uh, pleasure, thanks. And Dan Burke. Thank you very much. If you'd like to hear some more, we've another Patreon special this week. This week, it's all about players who have played for both City and Arsenal and some uh, games between the two as well. Uh, and it's an absolute bumper 40 minutes, so uh, go and have a listen to that. It's available for 2 5 or $10 a month backers. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast for more details. I'll be back next week to review the Arsenal and Porto games and look ahead to trips to West Ham and Marseille. So I'll see you then. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast the biggest international festival for the business of podcasting is back the podcast show london will bring together thousands of podcast creators under one roof on the 22nd and 23rd of may also featuring major industry players global brands and some of the most iconic voices in podcasting Plus, creator meetups, networking, and an evening festival of unmissable live shows. Passes from £89. Book yours now at thepodcastshowlondon.com.